Hello, my name is Kelly Bramblett and I am passionate about helping others live a high vibe lifestyle so that they're able to feel their absolute best. I am a self-help author as well as a certified general life coach and law of attraction practitioner. I specialize in both trauma recovery and mindset coaching. You can learn more about my work and my weekly blog by visiting my website at www.kellybramblett.com or to make it easier, just my first and last name.com. I am so happy you've joined me here today for this high vibe podcast episode. So if you're ready, let's go ahead and dive in. Hello and welcome, welcome, welcome to this High Vibe podcast episode. I kicked off season three a couple weeks ago with a solo episode, but this time I'm really excited because I have special guest Joy Regario on. Joy is a second generation student of the technology of Kundalini Yoga. Joy Regario has had the profound privilege to discover how a devotional practice can express human experiences in higher octaves from birth. After studying music, ballet, and modern dance, she began a decade-long career in the boutique fitness space, working with elite clientele all over the world, hosting her first retreat, and building her personal training business. So I'm really excited to welcome Joy on to the show for my first guest of season three. I'm going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back to dive in. So welcome, welcome, welcome to the show today, Joy. I'm so excited and honored to have you on. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So can you start out just by telling us a little bit about your journey with Kundalini Yoga and what sparked your passion for this practice? Oh, yeah, that's I feel like that is a great story for me. (laughs) It always tickles me to think about because uh, my mother was actually practicing Kundalini Yoga uh, from the early days, from the 70s. Um, And so she was practicing with me in her womb. And I I always laugh that like I heard the mantras from, you know, from the netherworld. My my little soul was hearing these mantras like, oh, I want to go there. (laughs) So I feel very, very fortunate that I was able to um, explore this technology from birth with with my mother. Uh, That being said, uh, when I became a sassy teenager, I (laughs) decided that I was way too cool for kundalini (laughs) yoga. I uh, had trained as a dancer from a young age. And so my thing was I wanted to dance. I wanted to move to New York City and be on Broadway and, and dance. And so kundalini yoga didn't really become a personal practice uh, until my adult years when when as I have always explained it when I felt like I really needed it because sometimes when you're born into something you take advantage of it and it's just that's just what we did I always just had that in the vernacular which is always part of the toolbox and so it wasn't until later that I realized after college that I realized like oh wow my mom really does know what she's talking about <laughs> I don't have to, um, you know, I don't have to push this away anymore. Um, and it it was really felt like a homecoming at that point. And I, I do think that I needed to go through that in order to um, truly appreciate the depth of the technology, the uh, um, the advanced 
nature of the technology, uh, the sheer wonder of the technology of Kundalini Yoga, because I was able to experience it for myself, not as something that my mother had introduced to me. So, um, so then once I started really practicing deeply, I did my teacher training and all of that kind of stuff that you do when you uh, really into something and you have the, you know, the kind of honeymoon phase. So I, I feel very fortunate that I had the honeymoon phase kind of twice, like, you know, <laughs> once when I was a kid and I understood um, that. And then later in life now, when I'm getting to really reap the benefits of it and see the benefits of it for myself and for my family. Oh, that's amazing. You know, I have, just gotten interested in kundalini myself in the last few years very new still very much just like learning the different chants but it's definitely it is a powerful practice even just the little bit that I've learned that I've incorporated into my life like I do the Adi mantra every morning before I do my prayer so I kind of take some of it and mix it in with other stuff that I'm doing but I have just grown to where it's almost like if I don't do it, I feel like I'm missing my left arm all day. It's like, oh my gosh, like totally, and it, totally, yeah. <laughs> 100%. So for some of my listeners who might not be too familiar with Kundalini and Kundalini yoga, what is Kundalini energy? So, yeah, so that's always an interesting question to answer because um, what I've learned in these technologies and this type of practice and not just Kundalini Yoga, really any type of practice that really takes you from point A to point B, uh, merging the finite with the infinite, let's just say, uh, there's really no explanation outside of the experience of it, right? So what I was taught, Kundalini energy is, is this latent energy that lives at the bottom of your spine. And when you stimulate it correctly, then it shoots up through the, the chakra system up and out of the crown chakra, and then kind of pervades into your aura, auric field. Here I am doing my big arm gestures. <laughs> like there's people in the room that can see. <laughs> um, it kind of, you know, pervades your, your auric field, and then it comes down back through the earth and then cycles up through the spine again. And, and that this energy is extremely creative and potent and really uh, the, the source energy, let's just say it like that. Um, so that's how we can describe Kundalini energy. Uh, it's very snake-like. Uh, I think Kundal, the meaning of the word Kundal is like a curl, like a curl of the beloved. So it's it's got this um, snake-like energy. It's very uh, elusive and, and fun and, and um, or can be very, very fun or can also be very potent and dangerous for those who um, maybe don't have the nervous system strength to handle such a experience. The disclaimer is Kundalini yoga itself is not dangerous. I think I want to kind of bust that myth for everyone because simply because Kundalini yoga is designed to help the Kundalini energy to rise in a way that's productive, in a way that's safe, in a way that's fun, in a way that's, um, you know, really controlled. So when you hear about these sort of spontaneous Kundalini awakenings and people having these moments of, of, of pain or, or disorientation around this kundalini energy, that's usually a nervous system imbalance. There's something about that person's system that is not able to handle that type of energy, uh, that um, extreme type of energy. And what kundalini yoga does is it really strengthens the nervous system. I mean, bare, bare bones, brass tacks, if we're talking about 
you know, Kundalini Yoga 101, it's a nervous system strengthener. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to worry about that kind of an experience. All of this to say, um, to answer your question, what is Kundalini energy? Uh, it's the energy and the, 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 the yoga of awareness, of really becoming aware. So I kind of describe it like your body-mind system is like a radio and you, you get, you know, one, two, three channels. Let's just say you're born receiving these many channels. When you start to awaken this Kundalini energy, when you start to do this yoga of awakening, you get to pick up lots more channels. So, you know, somebody who has psychic abilities or intuitive abilities has more channels that they're picking up than someone who doesn't. So really it's, it's the energy and the yoga of awareness of becoming aware of the more subtle realms, the more subtle bodies that exist within your body. And really it's, it's an experiential energy. So you, you, it's hard to explain it <laughs> you have to experience it if that makes sense totally and I do have another question because you kind of touched a little bit on you know busting that that myth that it is a dangerous practice but what about and because I have heard during like our time of bleeding every month is that there's certain um, aspects or it's not great to practice during that time is that true so there are, yes, there are certain guidelines for a woman's cycle as well as for pregnancy. I'm currently seven months pregnant. So there are a handful of, of practices that I'm not doing right now. The, the, the biggest one is breath of fire. And you probably know this um, as a yogi yourself. Um, breath of fire is, is very stimulating and balancing for the winds of the body, which is we call it prana and apana. So that's the sort of increasing and the eliminating energy of life force, let's just say. Um, at the, that time of the month, when those first three days, when we're bleeding most heavily, uh, we don't want to uh, mess with our body's balance of prana versus apana. So our body is trying to uh, eliminate and release and let go. And if we start to stir up the prana in a weird way, it can have... Uh, negative side effects. I've never experienced them. I've done breath of fire before <laughs> on my period and I was okay. And really going back to that idea of this being an experiential practice, you know, everything, everything is sort of yogi's choice. Like I know yogis who do a light breath of fire alter their cycle and they don't seem to have an issue with that. I know people who say, absolutely, no, I won't even touch breath of fire for, you know, six days while I'm on my period, whatever it is. I think that again, it's, it's really a matter of testing it out for yourself mm -hmm. and, and seeing what works and taking what works and then leaving the rest. Yo mm -hmm. Kundalini yoga, my teacher always says, is something that you add to your life. You're not doing Kundalini yoga so that you can stop doing something else. Yeah, a lot of times that happens. Uh, just to finish that, that that's something that you add to your life rather than, you know, something that you're using to to take away something else. I like what you said too. And I think it's so key with any practice, like gauging, you know, what feels good. I think sometimes we can get stuck in like this rigid space with some of our spiritual practices in general, where we kind of stop 
leaning into like, wait, does this feel good or doesn't this feel good? And I think that's really key to any practice, like taking with you what feels good, what feels right. And then if it doesn't resonate, leave that behind. And I love that. I love that you said that as well. How has adapting a Kundalini yoga practice in your life impacted you in a positive way? Oh, gosh. Uh, (laughs) um, There are so many ways. I think that first and foremost, being able to And just going back to that idea of kundalini yoga being the yoga of awareness, being able to see myself truly, being able to see my own mind. It's so funny that you said it right at the beginning, like on the days that you don't do your practice, on the days that I don't do my practice, it's like I don't have (laughs) that shield. It's like I don't have that protection. It's like I don't have that extra layer, just that tiny little space of discernment around, am I going to react or am I going to act with intention? Am I going to act in alignment with my highest destiny, quote unquote, whatever we want to call that? (laughs) Um, Because again, there are no words for it really. But um, just that moment of, okay, my son is screaming. My husband is, you know, not listening. I'm hungry and tired and I want to scream right now. (laughs) I want to scream and I want to throw something across the room. Just that millisecond where I can look at all of those things and say, wow, okay, I'm hungry. I need to eat. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to do that first versus let me react to this. Let me react to that. Let me, um, you know, sort of fall victim to inertia let's just say the inner that's kind of pushing and pulling and and trying to distract me or distract us from our, our, our real intention, which is hopefully to be in alignment with all that is and all that will be. I mean, I don't know. These are, these are words that again, we can approximate Mm -hmm. the effect. We can, we can point to the idea of this is what Kundalini does for me, but until we have a genuine experience of it ourselves, it's just, it's just words. It's just a, it's just a cliche. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so all that, yeah, to, to say Kundalini Yoga has given me an altitude, let's just say over, or it, it gives me when I do it, when I do it every day, when I'm doing it every day, when I'm consistent with my practice, I find there's an altitude over the space of my life where I can really be more intentional about what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. I love how you described it as like a shield, like that kind of Mm. shield that, you know, space that you have that you're creating that gives you that time to choose to respond in an intentional way. Like I love, I really like that description of that. And I think that's very accurate. Well, in the yogic technology, um, just to touch briefly, um, we have 10 bodies. Our physical body is only one of them. One of your bodies is your auric field. Um, another one is your radiant body and they sort of act in tandem to be both a shield and a, a, a projector of, of what, you know, what good can come to you. So it really is part of the technology that we're looking to amplify that auric uh, wattage, let's say, to create a stronger, a stronger shield against negative forces, against unwanted forces, against uh, our own destructive patterns <laughs> and things like that. So yeah, it's, it's, it's in there for sure. What do you think the best time of day, if someone wants to begin a practice or is just getting into this, like uh, the yogis of old would tell us that the hours of 
around 3.30 to around 7 a.m., uh, also known as the Amrit Vela, is the optimal time. And in Kundalini Yoga, we were taught that your meditative practice, your yogic practice, uh, when done in the Amrit Vela, in those wee hours of the morning, it's 40 times more powerful. Where the numbers come from, I have no idea. I don't even bother to ask because that's beyond my pay grade in terms of <laughs> yogic understanding. But um, I have experienced that myself. I have experienced, uh, you know, med- getting up at 3.30 to meditate uh, for two and a half hours and having just this blissful experience. Uh, so the very best time is just before the sun uh, creeps up. There is a second Amrit Vela uh, at around 3.30 to 7 p.m. So right after work is also a really, really potent time. You know, most people would have their work day end around that time. So you could um, try it then. But really any time of the day that you can and be consistent because consistency is is the key. I mean, what's cool about Kundalini Yoga is there's a lot of meditations that are super short. They're three minutes long. They're one minute long, you know, and, and they have these cool descriptions like Kundalini Yoga to get rid of insomnia or whatever the thing is. And so as humans, we're really drawn to that because like, oh, here's the thing. I can do it for three minutes and then my problem will be gone. Um, it doesn't usually work like that, as, as I'm sure you know. Sometimes it does. I have had that experience where you do one meditation one time and the benefit comes immediately. Um, But typically, uh, it's a consistent daily practice that will reap the most results. So any time of day, and any length of time that you can commit. um, I know my husband likes to do his his, um, he does a Tibetan um, meditation, a Tibetan Buddhist meditation. um, And his optimal time is right when he wakes up. So sometimes that's eight o'clock in the morning. Sometimes it's seven o'clock in the morning. But the first thing he does after he brushes his teeth and uses the bathroom is his meditation. And uh, I think that's a really effective way because then it's just a part of your routine, right? Like you brush your teeth, you take a shower, you do some yoga, like it's, <laughs> it's cleaning out the butt. You're cleaning the body, you're cleaning the mind. Yeah. So uh, yeah, the short answer, any time of day is optimal. <laughs> Yeah, I really uh, like and agree that the consistency is really like for any practice, the consistency is where you're really going to build that momentum and gain that, you know, clarity more consistently through that time. So, but I do also myself, I prefer doing waking up in the morning and doing all my stuff first thing in the morning, because I just really think it's for me personally, it's a great way. It, it, like you said, you clean your body, you clean your mind, you kind of shed everything from the day before that's maybe still lingering. And it just really gets me in that frame of mind for my day already kind of started out positive and ready to like tackle whatever shows up. Oh, totally. And do you find that I know for me, it's when you have, when I have a consistency, you know, when I've been going for several weeks or several months, it's just like second nature. It Mm -hmm. just happens. I don't have to then say, oh, now I got to go meditate or, oh, now, you know, I got (laughs) to make sure that I have enough space (laughs) to, when it, when it is consistent like that, do you find like, it's just like automatic? Yeah, absolutely. And it's so funny. I had a coaching client today I was talking with and we were talking about establishing new habits. And I said, at first, when you're establishing any new habit, it's going to feel a bit like a chore. 
But luckily, we're so blessed that our brain is designed to biologically um, accept new habits really quickly. So in a matter of just a few weeks, I told her, I said, in just a few weeks, you'll begin to feel naked without this. It will just become totally such a part of your day that you'll feel awkward, you know, not doing it. it would feel like you left the house without brushing your teeth. Like that would just feel so weird. Right. And so I definitely agree. And I think it's just when you're first starting is really when you need that kind of accountability piece and consistency when you're really holding yourself accountable to that consistency. But like I said, you know, in a matter of just a few weeks, or like you said, originally, um, it becomes just a part of our, our habit. And so it doesn't feel like a chore anymore. It's just, we have that muscle memory in every way, physically and energetically. So absolutely. Well, I love that you said that because it is, I mean, it is, building a habit. And I think that there is, uh, there's like science, Western science uh, around how much time it takes for something to become a habit. And you said it just a couple of weeks. Um, in the yogic science, we recommend starting a meditation and being consistent with it for 40 days. Mm-hmm. And it's at, at in and around that 40 day mark that it, it becomes a part of you in a way that it is. It's like, if you don't do it, then something's totally off and (laughs) something's totally missing. So yeah, Yeah. good, good, healthy 40 day habits. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I have heard that before. It's a, it's a powerful number. It definitely is. And then, you know, not to discount continuing longer after 40 days. Sometimes we think, oh, 40 days and then I'll be changed and everything will be great. And 40 days is like really like the the jumping off point, like 40 days is, is how long it takes for the change to usually to start to happen. And then, you know, once it starts happening, then you want to continue to root those benefits. So, yeah, that's very similar with, um, Reiki when you first, because I'm a Reiki master teacher. So the, um, when you're first going through this process, you do 21 day cleanse and 20 day, one day self-treatment. And that number is very symbolic as well in the Reiki practice. But I think it's the same thing. I always tell people, I'm like, we're going to do the 21 day stuff, but like do continue because it's that same thing you were saying, like that 21 days is when, like you're saying it's, you're beginning to understand the energy, understand how that energy feels so that you can build from it. But by no means don't just do the 21 days and then say, okay, I'm done now doing these self-treatments. So yeah, that makes total sense. So I want to just thank you so much for coming on to the show. I've really enjoyed this conversation with you, but before you do go, can you tell my lovely listeners where they can go to find out more about your work and all the awesome stuff you're up to? Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It really, it really has been a pleasure to meet you. And I'm so glad that we came together and we made a connection in this digital world (laughs) that we live in. Um, My Instagram is at joy lilikoi j-o-i-l-i-l-i-k-o-i so it's joy my name j-o-i and then lilikoi like the fruit uh, my website is we are how so we are and then h-a-u-m-e-a.com and on the website um, i have a number of free yoga classes like full yoga classes so you can uh, try a, a full kundalini yoga classes uh, class i have a couple of free um, meditations up there as well and just some other fun stuff for um, for anyone to access uh, and then lastly is my YouTube it's just my name Joy Ruggiero R-U-G-G-I-E-R-O 
Um, and that I, I try to post every week on the YouTube. So <laughs> um, there's the most content there if people really want to have a deep dive into into applying themselves to a Kundalini Yoga practice. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much. And I hope you have a lovely rest of your day. So I hope that you've enjoyed this conversation with Joy today. And I'll have all the information that she mentioned in the box below. I do hope that at the very least, this has sparked your interest in trying something new and seeing what Kundalini Yoga could offer for you. So I hope that you're all having a wonderful day, whatever it is that you're up to out there. And as always, I am sending out so much love to each and every one of you. Thank you so much for joining me here today.